Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Hey, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I have my very special guest on, John Correa with Active Self-Protection. How are you, John? I am delighted. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. And listen, as we were talking about before we got started here, I know you're on vacation, so I really appreciate you taking time out of your vacation schedule, much less your normal busy schedule uh, to do this with us. Yeah, glad to do it. I mean, I'm, I'm having a beautiful drive through rural South Dakota, so happy to help. Nice, nice. So before we get started, because we got a few things I want to talk to you about today, uh, I'm excited to have this opportunity uh, to talk to you and learn a little bit more about active self-protection. But um, in, in doing that, just to get started before we get into the good stuff, uh, talk a little bit about yourself, who you are, what your background is, how you got to where you're, what you're doing now, all of that good stuff. Yeah, my, my name is John Correa, and I'm the founder and owner of uh, Active Self Protection. Uh, we're the most viewed YouTube channel in the world uh, related to self defense uh, or firearms, for that matter. Um, in we uh, so my life is an interesting one. Group in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, my first real big boy job was uh, in Uncle Sam's Canoe Club, making hot water the hard way. I was a nuclear reactor operator in the United States Navy for eight years, a little less than and then. Got out of the Navy in 02 and moved to Phoenix, Arizona uh, to go to seminary. I uh, became a Christian in 1998 while I was in college and uh, then went to seminary, pastored a church in the Phoenix metro area, two different churches, total 14 and a half years. Sure. Um, and then in the midst of that, uh, I also taught uh, at a local college as well as the seminary I graduated from for a while and then founded Active Self Protection in 2011. Uh, just as a side hustle, and then in 2018, it became my solo endeavor uh, with kind of everything else. I've been running it since 2018 as my kind of uh, uh, passion project. So, yeah, it's been an interesting walk, a few career changes, and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah, you know, and I'm sure doing these from time to time, you've probably been asked now more than once, how does a minister decide to get into the whole personal safety, self-protection, self-defense arena? Was that something you were already well, interested in and doing, and you decided you wanted to get information out? Like, what what's your journey there? Well, I think it was more that, um, so when I was going to seminary uh, and pastoring part-time, I was working running a couple of video game stores for the founder of Hollywood Video. I ran a couple of game crazy video game stores oh, wow. in the Phoenix area. Yeah. And um, when the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3 came out, uh, managers were getting hurt for them. Really? Um, and, yeah, uh, the, the armor robberies were pretty intense, but the secondary market on those were were pretty significant. So uh, with that in mind, I was like, nah, man, not me. I'm, that's not going to happen. And so Arizona at the time were, uh, was a shall-issue state for CCW. Now we're constitutional carry as well as shall-issue, but... Uh, so I, I went down and got my permit. I said, no, nah, man, if some guy tries to mug me, I'm not going to put up with that. And yeah. about the same time, my son, who's now a grown man, he was a little bitty guy at the time. Um, he, he said, hey, Papa, why don't you come and take karate with me? We were homeschooling, and that was his extracurricular activity was um, karate. And so he's like, come yeah. take karate with me, Papa. And I was like, well, let me get out of seminary first. <laughs> and uh, and then he, man, he wouldn't let it go. He was like, you know, okay, but you're coming and, and yeah. taking class with me. And I thought I'd do it for about six months just to 
you know, have something that I said I could do with my son. And now here I am 15 years later and, and you know, he quit when he got out of high school and I, I did. So started doing all that. And then I'm just a teacher of my core and, and that's kind of my core competency. So as I got into that and really got excited about, about principles of self-defense, active self-protection just grew out of that, grew out of my desire to be a teacher, uh, to help other people to, to access the knowledge that I've worked for. So I've done it in every arena of my life. And so it was just a natural extension to do it now. Yeah. Now I know in your martial arts background and, you know, uh, I joke about this all the time and, uh, you know, if it weren't for social media and the, and, and the like, you know, this might be a creepy statement, but I've actually been following you for some time. Uh, I can't remember when I first, uh, discovered active self protection, but I think it was, uh, I don't know. At some point when I was still on Facebook, I've been off of Facebook, uh, for the last four years. It's the best thing I ever did, but I'm pretty sure that's where I first ran into you doing your video reviews and whatnot, but I've been following you from a while for a while now. And I know you're active in the BJJ community and you've got some other stuff, yeah. goodies in your background too, right? Uh, yeah. So my rank is actually in a derivative of Kenpo known as Demont. Okay. So, uh, my teacher, I'm the student of Lawrence Robinson. Hancock, student of Ed Parker. So, um, you know, my, my actual rank is, uh, I have a second degree black belt, which is, for those who are under, understand martial arts, yep. is a derivative of Ed Parker Kempo. So, um, I, I am a, a jiu-jitsu practitioner as well. I'm not a very good one. I'm a white belt. Uh, <laughs> I think it's jiu-jitsu, but I enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. I, I've had very little exposure to any formal BJJ. I've had it in some of the uh, Krav circles I've run in um, there, but um, it's something that I've I've wanted to explore further. Uh, the other thing that I know that we have in common is an affinity for firearms, uh, and I know you instruct and do a whole lot of stuff um, there in that space as well. And I was looking, um, yeah. and I think... I can't remember exactly, but I noticed on your long list of certifications and everything else on your website that I believe we got our CCWs around about the same time. Uh, I think I got it, mine in 06. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say that I got mine somewhere about then as well. So, yeah, firearms has been a big part of who I am and what I've done over the years. And I'd say in the last. 15 or so they've become even heavier you know a lot of training uh carry every day even around the house you know that sort of thing but i grew up shooting like uh, the first time i ever went was like i was like nine or ten my granddad and my dad took me shot a 22 and a 12 gauge the the extremes of the spectrum (laughs) yeah no kidding but it's a big i mean i started pretty young uh shooting a little bit doing a little bit of hunting yeah uh, yeah i started carrying it I'm a training junkie too. I, I love going to gun school. And so I, I go to class a lot, about a hundred hours a year is my, my every year school. And, oh, nice. Uh, I, I'm a, a certified master firearms instructor by multiple organizations. I love teaching handguns. In fact, the, the videos uh, that I do on the YouTube channel started as a way to make my uh, physical classes more evidence-based. That's why we started doing it. So uh, I always tell folks, they know me from YouTube if they know me, uh, but YouTube isn't how I see myself. I'm not a YouTuber. I'm a firearms instructor. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I think YouTube, you know, as long as the platform continues to support 
uh, things that we talk about and do and want to show people. I think YouTube's a great outlet to get the information out there. Videos uh, in general. Speaking of videos, yeah, and they don't, yeah go they ahead. Don't have a whole lot of problems with me. So yeah, I, I haven't had any problems with them. I know some people like to complain that YouTube is anti-gun. I actually have two YouTube channels. The main one, Access Protection. Um, you know, they're violent encounters, so they're not all fully monetized. It's get some limited monetization there, about 50 yeah. But on my second channel, I can self protect an extra. I don't have any problems at all, and I'm shooting on that channel. Like, here's a gun. Let me shoot the gun um, five days a week, and they don't have any problems with it at all. Yeah. No, that's great. And I didn't realize, you know, I knew you had your video reviews. I didn't realize you had such a big uh, firearm following on YouTube as well. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, about almost 170,000 subscribers on that channel. Which we started it as just a, a means for me to, to put out content that wasn't the main narrated videos. Yeah, and um, and that's grown into a. I mean, I still kind of see it in my mind as my as my play channel, as my fun channel. But I mean, it's kind of a juggernaut on its own now too. Yeah, no, that's great. So talking about active self protection uh, for just a moment. Um, I wanted to talk about your tagline. Uh, you have attitude, skills, and plan. And I think I can figure out the skills part, right? But let's talk about so people better understand what you're doing or trying to do for them. Let's talk about the attitude and plan part. The skills part probably comes off and makes some sense. What are we talking about when we're talking about attitude and planning? Yeah, so we build them one on top of another. The foundation of all self-defense in all of life really is attitude first. Uh, so the name of the place that I train at, Martial Arts Attitude First, Martial Arts Academy. And so we always talk about attitude first. Um, and uh, I also, you know, there's a, a joke in the aviation community that your attitude determines your altitude, right? Yeah. Uh, and so we, you know, we say attitude is always the first thing. And, and I talk about that on the, on the channel all the time, generally speaking, as emotional fit. And, and that is that uh, I have to adopt a mindset, or I, I just call it attitude, or a, like I say, a mindset, a, a view of the world that says, uh, I'm a good, sane, sober, moral, prudent person. I, uh, I don't wish to fight. I'm not looking to harm others, but I have the right to set and maintain healthy boundaries. Yep. No one has the right to harm. Absolutely. Uh, and if I have an attitude that says, uh, I will not allow somebody to harm me at mine. Uh, that's a healthy boundary to, to maintain. Uh, I seek good everywhere I go. I seek to uh, be a force for good everywhere I go. Then that's the attitude of a self-defender. I am not aggressive. I am not on offense, but I am on strong defense. And I always tell folks that my attitude is that if you stick your hand in a blender, uh, you're going to pull that hand back bloody and broken. And that, <laughs> if you do that, you do not blame the blender. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you get, you know, when you pull that hand back, you don't go, gosh, blender, what is your problem? Well, that's what the blender does. And if you're the one who's at fault for sticking your hand in, so see, look, if, if you decide you're going to do harm to me and mine, um, you're not going to escape from that unscathed because I'm going to make you pull that hand back real fast. Yeah. Uh, and that's not my fault. That's your fault. You knew better. You shouldn't have tried to harm me and mine. Uh, and if that harm is physical harm, then, then, there will be a physical consequence. And if that harm that you intend is deadly harm, then there is uh, potentially deadly physical force coming back this way. So uh, that's that attitude. I, I don't want to hurt nobody. Um, you know, you might, in a family-friendly way, you might have heard that, do no harm, but take no crap. Yep. 
but I actually don't believe uh, that's even accurate because I don't believe in defending my ego. Uh, I, I believe in de-escalation, escape, and evasion. It's any possible need. Uh, you know, every fight you avoid is the fight you win, uh, yep. and those kinds of things. But at the same time, there are some fights you can't evade and you can't stay away from. And so if you get to one of those, you have to have a mindset that says, I will prevail and I will maintain and defend my balance. Uh, and that's the attitude. So then once we build that on top of that, uh, you can have a great attitude for self-defense, but if you don't have a skill set that matches that attitude, well, then you can't defend those boundaries. Skill set has to be in place uh, that allows you, uh, because no one's coming to save you. A lot of people depend on someone else. I see um, a lot of folks that say, well, that's what law enforcement is for, except for they'll never be there in time. With you. Yeah. Uh, I see a lot of, of specifically ladies say, well, that's what my husband does. And I go, that's great if you carry him around in your pocket. Every <laughs> is he in your um, purse? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but he probably he probably won't be around you all the time. Maybe he will, and, and if that's the case, great. Um, so, so a robust skill set, that is enough for what you've got. And then uh, when we talk about the plan, the plan aspect of it is uh, in, in preparing, what we really talk about, what we really like to do is stay uh, in the before the attack, you want to win the fight before the fight, if at all possible. So there are three phases to every fight. There's the fight before the fight, the fight, and then the fight after the fight. And if you can win the fight before the fight, in other words, your planning is strong, you're paying attention to your world, um, you know where your risks are, and you take appropriate steps of risk mitigation when you can. Uh, we talk on the channel about things like transitional spaces, about knowing where your likely vectors of violence are, yeah. um, and those things. So if you can do all those things, then you can stay in the parlance of the industry left of bank. And uh, if you can stay out of that fight and avoid it to begin with, you win. Um, then if you understand incredibly well uh, the legal and moral aspects of self-defense, then when you're in the fight, then you know when I can, when I should, and when I must use particular techniques or, uh, or procedures. And then in the fight after the fight, having a plan that says, so, so I know that my family is prepared for the aftermath of a deadly force encounter. I'm prepared emotionally, yeah. mentally, spiritually, socially for the aftermath. And so that, that's kind of that planning process that goes, okay, I understand the before, the during, and the after, what my goals are and how I'm going to accomplish. So that's where the planning is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know, with that too, talking about preparing for the aftermath, that's so important. And I was having a little bit of a back and forth with a, a Krav individual yesterday and talking about, you know, there's the legal aspects of that too, which you need to be aware of so you know what you can and shouldn't be doing, what you can and can't do, right? And then knowing that there's going to be some sort of legal something coming up after if you have to find yourself in those situations. Yeah, yeah I, tell, I tell a lot of my jiu-jitsu practitioners that they don't understand this very well. They that to them, a choke is a non-lethal use of force. And uh, I get it because, you know, you're, you lay on the mat and, and you choke people and get choked all the time and it's non-lethal and yeah. you're good about that. But from a legal perspective in self-defense, uh, the use of a choke is almost always considered lethal force in this day. And so you got to know when you can and can't use that sucker. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
And, you know, the attitude part, the mindset and the boundaries is are, are key takeaways for people too. the boundaries is such a, a big one. You know, um, I was having a conversation recently with someone talking about the fact that, you know, it's easy to establish boundaries for ourselves. It's easy to talk about what we will allow or won't allow. The challenge comes in consistently enforcing them and being willing to them enforce them. Right. I totally agree with that. I, I'd strongly recommend for all self-defenders the uh, book called Boundaries. That's from Cloud and Fountain. Um, they, they have about 80 of them. There's like, you know, boundaries for kids and boundaries at work and boundaries with your dog and, you know, uh, boundaries. <laughs> Need those too. Yeah. No, I just read the, just read the main one. Just yeah. read Boundaries, right? Uh, and that will help people um, to, to understand what are healthy boundaries, how do I set them, and how do I maintain them? They use the word maintain. When somebody says they like to you know, in that they like to maintain their boundaries. Yes. I prefer the word defend. I, I defend my boundaries. Sure. And and those boundaries are are good and healthy. So once you understand those, then you can can really work on how do I consistently defend my boundaries? How do I consistently say no? This is healthy for me, and I won't allow an encroachment on those. When, as you do those in your everyday life, it actually builds your ability to do that in a crisis moment of a defense. You know, it, it's a great point. I like your word choice there of defend because it, at least in my mind, it makes it more the onus on me and it's more an active verb. Like I'm having to, you know, work to make this happen, right? Versus management is just kind of more passive in my mind. So I really like that defend choice. Defend your boundaries. Yeah, I, I will either say defend my boundaries, or I will also say enforce my boundaries, right? My my right is if I set a healthy boundary, then I can enforce that boundary. And the root word of enforce is force. Uh, now, that doesn't necessarily mean physical force, uh, but I, I know that that boundary will be enforced. It will be defended. So please, respect Yeah, makes a lot of sense. You know, uh, I have to ask, and I've sh- I'm sure you've been asked in interviews before, probably ad nauseum, and I'm I'm sure you've you've been asked in your church circles at least some, uh, and you know you see it come up. I I won't say often, but it does come up from time to time. There seems to be a little dare I say conflict within the Christian community about self-defense and taking a stance on, you know, especially when it comes to deadly force, you know what I'm talking about? How do you, how do you justify yeah, that? And, and how do you answer that usually for folks? Well, you know, I tell people all the time that there's lots of ways to follow Jesus, right? So I tell folks in my worldview, Jesus is the only way to God. I'm not the only way to Jesus. And so I respect other people's boundaries here. I respect their uh, I have pacifist friends, and I respect that. Yeah. Go ahead, do what you think is best. Now, for me and mine, I think uh, I begin at the very beginning that human beings are made in the image of God, and they are of inestimable value, worth, and dignity. And uh, after the fall, the very first significant sin that is mentioned in Scripture is murder, is the sin of murder. Uh, obviously, Cain murdering Abel, and God punishes him for that, and it cries that is unlawful use of this. As we continue to move forward, of course, you know, you read in the Decalogue in the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. Uh, and that was pretty clear. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, what we hear is go just a little ways forward, Exodus 22. Um, in the same context of God laying out how he wants 
people to live. Uh, there's a there's a, a statement in there that says if the thief if, if a thief is struck in the act of breaking in such that he dies, there's no blood guilt. For him. But if the sun rises on him and uh, he dies, then there is blood guilt. And so what what the point there is is that if you stop a home invader, then uh, in the midst of a home invasion, then there's no guilt here. You haven't committed murder. You haven't sinned. You haven't offended the Lord. But if he gets away and then you go and, and bring retribution, then there is blood guilt and then you committed murder. Uh, that's pretty clear from God. I, I move forward from there to Nehemiah chapter 4, that the uh, unlawful uh, act of Senbalat and Tobiah, Nehemiah stations the people with their families, puts them on the wall, tells them to put their swords on their hips and keep building the wall. So I want you to live your day-to-day life. I want you to build the wall of Jerusalem, but I want you to be prepared to use force, including deadly force, if necessary, to stop these guys from their criminal behavior. It is criminal behavior because the king had authorized Nehemiah to build the wall. So they were good, saints, sober, moral, prudent people doing good things, and, and any violence against them would be criminal violence. And, the, and Nehemiah, a man of God, uh, greatly extolled, said, no, we have to be ready to do violence. Um, and so I think that, in my mind, uh, I just read through those, and, and of course, uh, you say, well, that doesn't seem to prevent or prohibit uh, the use of force at all. Now, uh, I have a lot of friends that would argue that that is Old Testament. Um, but, of course, Jesus talks about this. When people talk about Jesus turning the other cheek, it's probably the biggest argument. You know, uh, uh, John Howard Yoder talks about that in his book on peacemaking. But I think really what Jesus is after in the Sermon on the Mount there, you know, if somebody strikes you on the one cheek, turn him to the other. Really, that's not about physical violence. That's really about insult. That, that the purpose there is not allow somebody to beat that. Uh, it is instead, if somebody offends you and strike somebody on the uh, on the right cheek, they would do that, or on the, on the one cheek, they would do that with the back of their hand as an insult in Jesus' culture, just like it would be in our culture. So he says, no, when they do that, offer them the other cheek that hasn't been offended as well. So the, basically Jesus' idea there is to be unoffendable, um, not to be abused. Um, and he also, in, in chapter 22 of the Gospel of Luke, uh, he looks back on the first time he sent the apostles out on uh, a missionary journey, uh, which he did in Luke 9, and he says to them, hey, uh, the last time I sent you out, I think I was nothing. You had no sandals on your feet, you had no extra clothes, you had no food. Did you lack anything? They said, no, Lord, we, we did fine. You provided for us uh, on our journey. He goes, okay, now this journey here, uh, I'm going back to the Father on this next journey. I want you to make provision for yourself. So take sandals for your feet, take the money back, take provision." And let the one who has no sword sell his clothes and buy one. And that sword was not a hunting implement. It was not a cooking tool. It was, uh, in, in Greek, they call that the machairo, which was the short sword that the Roman soldier carried, what we would know as a gladius yep. um, that, that he mentioned there. And, and that's a defensive, plain and simple. And we don't have any instances that we see of any of the apostles using those. And yet Jesus authorized it. Now, you know, they say, hey, Lord, we've got two of them. He says, okay, that's enough. Uh, it seems that he doesn't require them at that point. He doesn't say, okay, well, the other penny, you need to go do it. He goes, well, some of us have them. Okay, that's enough. So I think he authorized self-defense, uh, including an up-to. So when you combine that with an understanding of boundaries that says, no, my goal my goal and job, I, I don't seek to kill, even if I have to use deadly force, force likely to cause great bodily harm or death. That's not my goal. My goal is to stop the imminent threat of death or great bodily harm. So from an attitude perspective, I don't seek to kill. I seek to stop. 
Now, sometimes the only way I can stop somebody reliably is to enforce the boundary with force that's highly likely to cause them death or great bodily harm. Yeah. That other person who's an imminent deadly threat to me and mine, in my opinion, has already made their bargain with God, and they chose to put themselves in a place where the only thing I could do to stop them is to use that force. And so the fault here is on them for the death, not me. So that's how I see it. Um, I recognize others may not may not see it in that arena or in that way, but uh, I see that as I have the right to, to set my boundaries. I think Scripture authorizes me to do that. I follow Jesus, but Jesus is okay with that attitude and that ethic. And then in my attitude, my, my peaceful, uh, peace bringing, passionate soul uh, that I want to have, I don't seek to kill, I seek to stop. Even if it requires me to use force that's highly likely to cro- cause great bodily harm or death, I only use that when I must in order to stop an imminent threat of death or great bodily harm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And like I said, I, I know you've probably been asked that a gazillion times but i thought you know while i've got you of all people here on with us uh that i would ask you that so people yeah and it comes through right but that's why i thought i would ask because i want people listening to us talking to you know have their questions answered potentially and i think that's one that i see have come up in the community over the years many times so thanks thanks for that Absolutely. And, and let me reiterate, some you know, uh, well-meaning Christians who are, are good and heartfelt Jesus people disagree with me and, and don't believe that, that uh, the use of lethal force is, is a moral good. Um, and, and I'm very much live and let live. I, I very much say, hey, that, that's great. I honor that. If that is part of your earnest walk with Jesus, I think that's awesome. Um, and I'm willing to let you live that. You hopefully are willing to let me live my well, you know, I have a very simple and it's kind of I'm I'm joking when I say it, but I'm also very serious when I'm saying it too. Uh, the way I've <laughs> said it is even at some point, even pacifists have to defend themselves. Right. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, to be a thoroughgoing, thoroughgoing pacifist, very different. I mean, we even see uh, things like one of my favorite theologians of all time is Peter Bonhoeffer. And uh, I think that, that Bonhoeffer was incredibly committed to trying to be nonviolent, and yet he ended up involved in uh, a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. And so a, a great book, uh, if you read uh, Eric Metaxas' uh, biography of Bonhoeffer, fascinating stuff there. Hmm. Wow, yeah. Uh, so videos, let's, let's talk about what I would argue, you might see it differently, but I would argue your videos and video reviews are your claim to fame at least in the public facing place i mean i like i said i'm pretty sure that's how i stumbled upon you originally uh back in the day and i've been following you a bit that's how people know yeah and and they're awesome there's a reason why you have such a great following one is you know and it's funny a lot of people are well more and more people seem to be doing it they seem to take different tactics which i'm not a big fan of because the goal here is not to try to scare people. You know, those calls you get trying to sell you security systems for your office or home, you know, they give you the scary stats of how many break-ins you've had in the area and community, blah, blah, blah. But I like the fact that you just present it for what it is. And, you know, 
I'm a firm believer that in the self-defense community, there's a big lacking of information, and it's because the information doesn't sell as well as the physical techniques do. But we're we're those of us in the community own it owe the community to, to, to give them that information. And so in my mind, the information and education is as if not more important than the physical techniques. And part of that is, is that I'm a firm believer that folks as horrible as some of them are, and you can watch some really horrific things in closed circuit TV and security cameras, as horrible as some of them are, I think It behooves people if they think they want to watch that stuff, to see it. Um, They need to understand that it doesn't happen necessarily how they're taught it happens. And most importantly, they need to understand that real life violence or just general bad things that happen to people do not happen the way they happen in Hollywood, right? So I think there's two, at least two huge benefits coming out of watching those videos uh, how did you decide to do that and, and kind of what's your process and what's your, what's your thought behind why it is you do it? You know, we tried to uh, make what I talk about is that what, what I try to be is evidence-based. So we wanted to see what, what really happens in real-life defenses. Yeah. So now we have a database um, so on the main channel on YouTube. There's 2,500 real-life defensive encounters. There, uh, forever. There's another 500 of them or so on my Facebook page. They're old ones, and uh, to get those, we've probably analyzed around 35,000 gunfights at this point that have been caught on surveillance footage. The reason we started that, of all things, I started the Facebook page for the company uh, as the first social media outlet. Yeah. And uh, honestly, I started it because uh, I was pastoring a church. I was getting into self-defense, getting into firearms. And some of the blue-haired ladies at church were just frustrated that I was posting gun stuff on my Facebook because they didn't feel like it was very pastoral. And yeah. and so I caught a little bit of feedback for that, a little little not so great feedback. So I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start a company page. So then that way that doesn't you know that removes these men. Yeah. Start doing that. Uh, for a while there, Facebook really was in the meat, and so I started uh, producing high-quality defensive memes that that had a message and a purpose and a passion to them. And uh, then eventually, uh, we started, Facebook started putting out video content. They allowed video. Uh, this was back in 2014. So somebody sent me a real-life attack somebody had undergone. Yeah. And, and I took that video on my BlackBerry, took it to my martial arts school, showed my professor, and I was like, Professor, I don't know what to do with this attack. I don't know how to defend myself against this. I feel unprepared. And he said, well, let's workshop it. Let's that's a good thing for us to work on in class tonight. So we did. We worked on that in class for an hour and a half. I felt much better at the end. And that taught me something. That said, wow, what happened to somebody in a real-life encounter can inform my training? So I posted that on my Facebook page and just put some thoughts in the description. Hey, yeah. guys, we worked on this. This tends to work, whatever. And people really responded well to it. Yeah. So I did that for a while. Um, and then somebody sent me a video that had, it was like five minutes long, but it was like four and a half minutes of boredom and then 30 seconds of back. <laughs> Yeah, and and I was like, man, I've got to cut that four and a half minutes off. And I had a software program on my computer on my laptop that I knew could do that, but I didn't know how to run it. Yeah, and so I went to YouTube. I was like, all right, YouTube, show me, give me a basic tutorial of how to work this program. And uh, they did, and included in that tutorial was a basic introduction to adding voiceover. Uh, and here's how you add voiceover using your onboard microphone. And I was like, 
oh, wow, that's kind of cool. Uh, instead of typing it in the description, I could just say it. Yeah. And then I would be like, I would be like the John Madden of on-camera violence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I could put arrows and circles and stuff uh, and, and bring attention to the thing. Like, oh, man, that, that's kind of cool. Let's try that. And so it was totally black and just looking for a tutorial. And I did it. And that went very, very well. And people responded very well to it. And that's where the narrative videos came from. And so then as people responded to it, the Facebook page grew. And, and so I started posting them there. And, and YouTube came about because I had a YouTube channel. I had a couple of videos on it, but really nothing that I really worked on. Sure. And YouTube said, hey, John, if you want to, uh, you can monetize your channel. And so I said, hey, man, that's like walking down the street to find a $10 bill. No uh, doubt. What, what fool would say no to that? Right. <laughs> Don't have to tell uh, me and, twice. And so, right. So I, I loaded a bunch of the old videos from Facebook onto uh, YouTube and uh found out very quickly that YouTube was where I should have been the whole time. And, uh, the, the YouTube audience really exploded. And so we've done that since April of 2016, and that's where we've focused and, and been very, very good for it. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, um, it seems like, and have you slowed down the pace that you make them? It seems like I haven't seen them with as great a frequency lately. And I know you've been super busy, but um, have you slowed down or am I just missing them somewhere? No, you're missing them. Actually, we post more than we ever have. The Big Channel Active Self Protection, we are now up to uh, every single day of the week. So seven days a week, I post a new surveillance video. Uh, and then three afternoons a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the afternoon, we post a badge camp. Uh, so we're actually up to 10 videos a week on the wow. Big Channel every single week, 365 days a year that that channel gets posted to. The second channel, Active Self Protection Extra, where we keep skill set, now has eight videos a week posting to it every single day of the week. Uh, in the morning, and then once a week, we've added a a, a new shooter orientation. Our my niece Natalie has gotten into shooting in self defense. We call her the Range Monkey. So we've <laughs> we've added a series on the adventures of the Range Monkey. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. On in one afternoon, so we're making eighteen videos total a week, and the big narrated channel uh, is ten every single week, uh, and I. That's as many as I'm able to do. So. I was going to say, that's, that's going to be it. That's a lot. And and just out of curiosity, how long does it take you to like put together a review of a video and get it ready to go? I mean, obviously, I do them in batches, and I, I do them, you know, I kind of chunk work together. So each video probably takes me um, a grand total between um, everything that we do in terms of uh, – doing research, making sure I have the best copy of the video that I can have, uh, news stories, those kinds of things. Um, probably then, then doing an intro, doing the full video work. Now, I don't do it all myself, so I have, uh, we have now a grand total of 14 staff members that act in self-protection. Oh, wow. So uh, my, portion, my portion of that work takes about, probably right now, about two hours per day. Yeah. So not terrible. But uh, and then, 10 a week takes up quite a bit of time. <laughs> it sure does. 10 a week takes up a good bit of time, plus the second channel takes some time as well, um, plus admining, plus, you know, doing things like appearing on podcasts and those things. Yeah, so, all, all, uh, all those... time gig, that's for sure. Yeah, all those uh, time killers like podcasts. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I think they're great. And like I said, I think it's important that people, if they're willing, should get out and watch at least a few, right? 
because the other benefit I think is, you know, oftentimes we talk about the importance of thinking through scenarios, right? Things that might could happen to you while you're out and about, or maybe, you know, picturing someone kicking in your front door, the home invasion when you're home with the kids or whatever, you know, thinking through the scenarios and getting a plan, even if it's a halfway plan in place, it's better than the person that hasn't thought about scenarios at all. So I think the other benefit of watching videos like what you've put together is allowing people to pick up on realistic scenarios that they could think through for themselves and what they could do in that situation, or more importantly, what they could have done to avoid the situation when that's possible too. So I think it's great. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think I, I, the, the, probably the biggest thing that the main channel has taught me is that we're, what most people think of when they think self-defense is really what Hollywood and television have taught them. Yeah. Is of course, you know, those, those scripts are written for uh, excitement, not for realism. And, right. and so what really does happen and how does it actually go? Um, then you get some, some pictures of that. The other part of that is that your brain has a very hard time differentiating from uh, between real experience and virtual experience. So you get the experience of someone's self-defense encounter without the danger. So then that way, if God forbid you ever become the one who's in danger, it's not the first time you've seen that level of danger, but you can continue to think and continue to act to make yourself safe. That's a great point, too. I mean, I think for most people, I'd go out on a limb here, but I think the general populace has not been confronted with violence before, right? I mean, we're very fortunate that we live in a society where violence makes up a very small percentage in our overall encounters, right? So I don't think a lot of people know what it looks like. They don't all take self-defense classes. They don't all box. They haven't been burglarized or experienced being robbed at gunpoint before. So I think it's, to your point, it's another great opportunity for them to see things and how they happen just in general. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it really depends on your your community and quite frankly, greatly depends upon your socioeconomic status. Uh, for middle-class and upper-class Americans, uh, violence is generally pretty darn remote, and when it happens, it's a rarity. Yeah. For uh, for poor Americans, especially if you have high population density, yeah. you live in a in a project in St. Louis. Violence is an everyday thing. Every day. Very used to it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I tell folks all the time that that kind of socioeconomic gap is really significant. So, particularly though, middle-class and upper-class Americans. Um, it shows them what the reality is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, keep keep it up. It's it's fantastic. Um, and just so you know, too, my my good buddy, my brother from another mother, is a huge fan of yours and those videos you do, too. So he wanted to say hello, so I have to tell you hello from him. His name is Dennis, and he's All right. he's been a big fan for years, as I've... I, Hi, uh, Dennis. i'm sure he'll listen to this at some point for sure um you know going out to your website um at activeselfprotection.com on your about page man you've got a long lengthy list of creds right and i'm and i'm sure i know why why they are all there i mean it's impressive right like if someone wants to know what your credentials are and what your experience is at least some of it is all right there on that page um you've done a lot yeah i think 
I think it's important for an instructor to do that. I, I, it doesn't have to be that detailed. I, I try to be fairly detailed because yeah. that cites my sources. You know, here's all here's a list of instructors I consider really significant influences in my output screen. Here's yeah. um, all my certifications, those things. And I'm not saying every instructor has to be that detailed, but if, if I can't find out what an instructor's background is, what their credentials are, what, what they're teaching, I, I find that to be suspect. Yeah. Not, not that it necessarily disqualifies them, but it, then it doesn't give me any confidence. So I always want people to know, here's exactly who I am, here's where I'm coming from, here's the experience, the credentials that I have to do what I'm doing. And yeah. so um, if you want to listen to me, this is why, and if you think I'm a hack, well, at least you know my background. Yep. No, and I think it's a great point. And I'll say this too, you know, certifications are great, right? Sort of a lot of certifications hanging on the wall, but sometimes it's just about trying to figure out how to encapsulate all of that great experience some of us have, right? Like, I may not have the piece of paper to hang on the wall, but I've done a lot of stuff and I've seen a lot of stuff and I've been through a lot of training, whatever. How do I communicate all that? So I think it's great what you've done there uh what i wanted to ask about all of that because it's a long page of stuff what's the biggest lesson you've learned from everything um and you, you know if you got two or three that's great but what's your top huh uh so, so i think the biggest thing I, nobody's ever asked me that question um i think that probably the number one thing i've learned is that there's always more to learn uh, yeah. and 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 that being a continual learner, uh, I say I am an instructor occasionally and a student always. Yeah, uh, that's so good. I always have more to learn. There's always a new perspective. There's always a different way to describe something. It might be the fifth time or fifth way I've heard something that I finally go, oh, yeah, aha, I get it now. Yeah. Um, that I'm, you know, I'm in a place to do that. So, so probably the number one thing is that. I think the number two thing is, is that a broad and varied experience uh, and especially going to different organizations. You know, I still know some people that all they will do is go to one of the big major schools. Like, all they've done is do 10 classes at Gunsight. Yeah. I got no problem with Gunsight. I'm a Gunsight graduate. I, uh, Ken Campbell, the CEO, is point to mine. I think they're great people. Uh, once you take a couple of Gunsight classes, though, go somewhere else and get a different perspective. Yeah. That will broaden your, uh, your understanding and help. That would probably be my topic. Yeah. No, I think the perpetual student is a really great point for sure. Okay. So I have to ask this. I've asked a few of my guests uh, and it's a puzzle that I'm ever forever working on, which is why I like to ask uh, people when I have the opportunity. Uh, And it's okay if you don't have the answer because a lot of folks do not. But how do we get more people interested or taking a genuine interest in the personal safety of themselves and their loved ones? Well, I think it's a big question. Um, I, I think, number one, if I had one significant thing to offer in that endeavor, it would be to encourage people to see self-defense as a civil right and mm. to depoliticize self-defense. I think that uh, really even to date, um, people associate firearms rights with political rights. Yeah. And so they, they, they force the team on this issue and they, they package things together. You know, it's, it's like, look, uh, if you're all about God, family, country, I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah. But, 
I think if you're all about Black Lives Matter, you, you are a human being of inestimable value, worth dignity, and you have a right to defend yourself. And so we can disagree about almost everything in the world, and I still say you have the right to self-defense. So I think the yeah. way that we that we broaden the right to keep and bear arms, the way, the way that we broaden an interest in self-protection, is that we recognize that people not like us have that right as well, and we have to respect that and be able to dialogue there help those folks as well. And if we can do that um, and show them, listen, no, this is not for me, this is for you, uh, and we can disagree about all this other stuff and still get together for class, still get together to help one another with this, and maybe afterwards have a meal and get to know each other a little bit, humanize one another a little bit, yeah. and maybe understand each other a little bit better. But uh, I think that's probably the number one path to, uh, to helping push forward the right of self-defense in America. Yeah. I think I think it's going to take us really giving and being willing to meet people not halfway, meet them sixty percent, seventy percent of the way, uh, and and not force even on position. Yeah, well, I think the point you make, dialogue, is really key, and uh, there's a lot of mudslinging and back and forth, but not as much dialogue as I would like to see happen. But you know, I am hopeful that information like you're putting out, and like what I'm trying to put out, and whatever, maybe just make somebody think that they need to do something different or start considering uh, their personal safety and taking it a little bit more serious than maybe they have before. So I think getting the information out there to them is a, is a first step as well. John, this has been great. Go ahead. I I, I say the other part of that is if you wanted to get somebody into firearms, take them shooting. Shooting's fun. Yeah, it is. Uh, but people are scared of it. So if you can open the door for them and go, yeah, it can be, but let's do it safely and let's have a good time. And uh, so many times that somebody gets that, that I take shooting for the first time and they go, man, that was super fun. And that's not scary at all. Right. Let's go do some more of that. And then all of a sudden they become open to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point too about shooting. I couldn't agree more. I think it's great fun. It's stress relief. It's bonding. It's camaraderie. When I was doing some time as a range safety officer, I just enjoyed watching other people in, enjoy the sport, right? Enjoy the activity of shooting. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun for sure, to your point. Amen. John, this has been great. I, I, I really appreciate you doing this, and I, I definitely appreciate you taking time out of your – I know you're on the road, but still, this is your vacation time, so I really um, appreciate and thank you for doing this with us. Um I am more. I'm glad to have come on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, I am sure that a great number of people that will listen to this podcast already know who active self protection is. But for those who do not, how can they find you? How can they get a hold of you? Well, you know, what you're going to find the best way is to find me on YouTube. Just look up active self protection. Or if you're on a browser, youtube.com slash active self protection is us. Uh, we have a second channel there, active self protection extra. Uh, you can find our Facebook page. Just search Active Self Protection, big uh, stylized snake logo. You'll find it there. Um, our website has all of that as well and links to all of those, activeselfprotection.com. And I also have a public figure page that uh, they can find on Facebook. If they want to follow me for more. The public figure page, I don't do any really any self-defense stuff there. I, I post uh, devotions and pictures of my cat, mostly, <laughs> and uh, that's uh, that listed as John Korea, and if you go to facebook.com slash the ask guy, uh, the ASP guy, uh, that's me. Sure. I Follow do have Instagram as well. Follow me on the grams. 
Yeah, yeah, I think I'm connected to you for sure on Instagram because that's my main social media outlet. Uh, I do have to ask you one more question. I've always been curious. How did you choose or why did you choose the Cobra as your logo? Um, so it's actually not a Cobra. It's an app. Um, okay. So, uh, it, which is a North Egyptian Cobra. Um, so when we named the company Active Self Protection, we started calling it ASP. And then, of course, that just comes across the app. Yep. And, uh, and so we said, oh, okay, well, a stylized snake is an app, right? That makes sense. And, and the app is apocryphally seen as the means that Cleopatra used to die by suicide. I, I don't think that's what she did in reality when you look at it historically, but that's kind of, a, you know, the, the, the story. Sure. Um, but the North Egyptian cobra is not a, a, an aggressive animal at all, but if attacked, its venom is highly deadly. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I think sometimes Christians, they look at that and they go, oh my gosh, snake in the garden is bad. Snake's bad. Uh, but if you remember in, in the book of Numbers, when the people were uh, sinning against the Lord, the Lord sent uh, venomous snakes, but then when Moses lifted up the serpent on a pole, uh, when they looked at that serpent, then they lived. And uh, Paul says to us that that serpent was a type of Christ. And then in Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, uh, he said, I want you to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So he uses a serpent there as a symbol of wisdom. And, and so uh, I actually have that tattooed on me. Yep. Wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So the, the snake symbol there, the axe, uh, is not an aggressive animal that is nevertheless uh, a potent self-defender in attack uh, and a symbol of wisdom and a type of fright. And so that just makes me all warm and fuzzy, and that's why we use the snake logo for us. Makes sense. I had to ask. John, thanks for so much. Sure. All right. My pleasure. Great to talk to you. Yep.